Well, gentlemen, today's topic comes to us as a result of kind of a weird double coincidence. I listened to a segment on Mark Dice this morning about a phenomenon that I think is worth mentioning. And then uh, just a few uh, minutes ago, there was a post on Instapunnet from uh, none other than J.K. Rowling, covers pretty much the same subject. So uh, here we go. Uh, the thing I'd like to talk about today on Right Angle, I'm Bill Whittle here with Steve Green and Scott Ott, is the idea of how radical revolutions always devour their own and you better be careful about what you wish for because you just might get it um in the case of jk rowling uh, she's going to be speaking at the um, oxford union tonight steve's uh, episode this week is about debate and of course uh, jk rowling who by all accounts would have been considered an extremely progressive left-wing intellectual uh continues to abide by this hateful and, and violent and in fact genocidal idea that women are women and um and you cannot magically change those and so she's being called a nazi and there will be a protest there and all the rest but the um but the thing that mark dice was covering today was about um the uh, director of uh, diversity equity and inclusion for uber who held a conference um among the upper staff at uber and said that we should not be using the term karen because the term Karen is a uh, generally a pejorative against white women, and I, I believe she was a white woman, and so she didn't like being called Karen. Well, she was suspended for this and may get fired because what this person doesn't realize is that you it doesn't matter whether you think you're on the team. When you create a cult of victimhood, and that is your entire philosophy, you will eventually find yourself up against the wall. Uh, Steve, the reason I actually decided to, to kind of cover this in terms of the fate of what happens to Marxist revolutionaries is, uh, as m many people know, I just finished a, a five, six months working on a series for Daily Wire called An Empire of Terror, which is about the Soviet system and Leninism and how it's ruled by fear. And when you see the amount of murder that is done by these people, just the, just the, the, the disregard for human life and the, the simple casual quality of them just consigning tens of thousands of people to death. The only justice I found in this, Steve, the only sense of, 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 of righteousness in this entire deep dive into this nightmare system was that virtually every single one of the people that either called for the death of other people or actually executed those other people relatively quickly found themselves in the exact same situation begging for their lives as they were stood up against the wall shot in the back of the head. Hmm. It is the nature of... of of Marxist revolutions to eat their own. And I think that's largely due to the result of the fanaticism involved. Do you, do you think that's it or do you think it's something else? Uh, well, I think that's part of it. I, I think that's maybe half the equation. The other half is what you're talking about uh, before we got to that part, and that's, that's the fear. Um, the rules have to be arbitrary. Uh, yes. That... That's that, right. That, that's, otherwise, that's the key component. There's no, there's no way to navigate your way through it. Exactly, yep. yes. And when rules are arbitrary, then you can rule by fear. Um, there's, oh, man, I just, I just flashed on one of my favorite nerd moments from Star Wars, the movie that's actually called Star Wars, Not a New Hope. Yeah. The <laughs> um, and that is, it's, 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 we get just a taste of imperial politics in that movie. It's just, just enough to entice you instead of, you know, sticking you on a capital planet for all those meetings like they did in the prequels it's when uh, uh grand moff tarkin who, who runs the death star announces that the emperor has uh, uh permanently dissolved the senate the last remnants of the old republic have been swept aside i i, I think is his line and the senate is what gave the emperor his uh, 
not his authority, his, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? I, well, I, we'll, we'll call it his authority. Um, and one of the other officers says, well, without the Senate, what's to keep the local systems in line? And Tarkin says, fear, fear of this battle station. Well, a battle station, as we would discover about 40 minutes later, can be can be destroyed thanks to a two-meter exhaust port conveniently located. Um, what can't be destroyed is a set of arbitrary rules enforced by this sort of ever-shifting coalition of, of professional victims. And in a sense, it's a lot like 1984 in that um, if you're a member of the party, when I say the party, we don't have a, a single actual party. Uh, but what we have is a sort of unofficial club of uh, uh, business leaders, politicians, uh, <laughs> I was about to say human uh, human resources department, and I actually, yeah, that's part of it. And the DEI department is just uh, weaponized HR. It's just, just awful. If you want to do well, if you want to succeed, then you kind of have to join this unofficial party. And once the party is done with you, if you breach one of these arbitrary, ever-shifting rules, you're out. And fear is what keeps people in line, not of the battle station, but of this, this unofficial kind of blob conglomeration of, of human beings. Um, and in the, sense, the way it's like 1984 is, if you're a prole, nobody cares what you do. Oh, maybe you'll get canceled on Twitter or something, but if you, yeah, want, yeah. If you want to do better than that, uh, if you want to become one of the members of the outer party, you know, a business executive, a congressman, whatever it is, then, then you're subject to these arbitrary rules. And, uh, well, as we're learning, the left will eat its own. They will. Um, Scott, when I, the reason that this story got my attention, I suppose a fair amount of it was shot in Friday, but nevertheless, I, I'm convinced that this person who was the uber head of diversity, um, equity, and inclusion was one of the first people to say, well, you know, white males back of the line, we have all of these ethnic categories, all of these victimhood groups, all of these hierarchies of, of, of oppression, and that's her job to enforce that. And then all of a sudden, she found herself getting called names in her workplace. And when she said that's not nice to do that, she said she suddenly realized, wait a minute, I don't have enough victimhood points here. I, I am um, I'm now being attacked, and I'm supposed to be defending the system. And when I realized how this thing works, I was immediately reminded of this poem. It's an extraordinarily famous poem um, by, by uh, Pastor Martin uh, Niemöller. This is just very quickly. First, they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. And this is kind of where I want to go with this with you, Scott. When you are, when your political philosophy condemns entire categories of people to, well, every white person is a racist, every white person is a uh, supremacist, or whatever the whatever dividing line you want to make. I get the feeling that the people, Antifa people, all these social justice warriors, are assuming that they're always going to be on the on the right side of this argument, that they will always be the oppressor and never be the ones put up against the wall. And it doesn't usually work out that way, unfortunately for them. 
No, and and I think that circle is going to get redrawn over and over and over again until you who were on the inside suddenly find yourself on the outside. And the, That's the rules have changed and you don't realize it. And you won't discover it until you step on the mine. And when the mine goes off and then you go, hey, wait a minute, I was fine last week. What happened? What's, what's the new thing? Why is it a problem now? Uh, the other night, my wife and I were just kind of going through old uh, YouTube clips of uh, segments from the TV show The Voice because we never we didn't watch it early on when it first came on. So we're watching shows now that are, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, something like that, whenever it first started. And there was one contestant, a guy got up and sang, and Adam Levine from Maroon 5, one of the judges, turns around, and he's the only one of the four judges who turns around. And then it's his turn to talk after the guy gets done singing, and Adam Levine said, I know this is going to sound embarrassing uh, maybe at first, but I don't want you to take this the wrong way. But when I turned around, I turned around because I thought you were a chick. And I turned around because I thought you were a chick, and that voice was amazing. But obviously, you're not a chick. You have a, and then he says the biological terminology for the, you know, the male reproductive organ. And, um, and then several the people laugh at that, and one of the other judges repeats the word and says something funny about it. And I thought, holy cow, you could not do that today. You could not, on a, on a TV show, you could not say, obviously, you are not a, a female. You're a male, and the reason you're a male is because you have a male reproductive organ. Not that he could actually see it, but he assumed that the guy had, had one of those. And I just thought, how do we get to this place? I mean, it was inappropriate on, back then for him to say that because he was using the genitalia term on TV. It's inappropriate now because he was concluding by appearance that he could evaluate who somebody was, whether they were male or female, or be able to categorize it in that way. And, and I just thought, how do you keep current with the, with the lexicon? How do you keep current with the acceptable speech? You know, do they, is it like the AP style book back in the day when I was a journalism student where every day, every year they issue a Changes new all the time. version of the yeah. AP style book? I actually recently almost bought a copy of the AP style book, more out of nostalgia than anything. I don't need an AP style book. But I went to college for journalism and I had one then. I thought, oh, I'll buy the latest version of the AP style book. And I start looking at what's in the new version of the AP Stylebook, and it's that kind of stuff. And I thought, ah, I don't really need that. I don't need to know what the latest boundaries are because by the time that thing goes to print, it's already out of, it's already obsolete. And so I feel sorry for these people who, in many cases, out of the goodness of their hearts, thinking they're doing the right thing, they're trying to be just and fair and kind and all of that kind of stuff, they find out eventually that they're not part of a just, fair, and kind movement, and now they're the enemy. Yeah, I'm not so sure about the just, fair, and kind thing. I think those people, the, the DEI specialists, generally really enjoy canceling people. And I want to close by talking about that term, cancel culture. Cancel culture is kind of harmless sounding. We all know it's got its consequences. Well, what, what happened to him? Was he, was he taken out and killed? No, he was just canceled. Well, basically, it's the the end result is the same. They've been removed from the uh, they've been removed from the discussion. They've been taken outside and they're not going to be heard from anymore. 
Um, it is a total cancel culture is a result of totalitarians enforcing their personal opinions and removing people who disagree with them from the discussion and from the civilization. You lose your livelihood, you lose your job, you can lose your friends, you can lose all kinds of things. And as with other fear-based societies, terror-based societies, you can have a friend who's been canceled and you could know full well that that person's innocent, but you also know that if you decide to befriend them or defend them, then you're going to get canceled too. So you put your head down and, and off you go towards the basement of the Lubyanka. Uh, J.K. Rowling had a response to um, being called a Nazi and all the rest of it. Uh, this is just apparently just came out just a short time ago as we record this uh she was talking about the people that call her a nazi and 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 you know fascist and misogynist and all this she wrote you lie and smear assuming that you'll live out your days as a hanging judge and never find yourself in the dock no cultural moments last forever yesterday's fanatics realize they joined the wrong mob populist movements shrivel and fall apart and here's the clincher Robespierre ended on the guillotine that's rather elegantly phrased she ought to think yeah. she ought to think about writing for a living yeah. she's, she, she's, she's rather good at it yeah ropes pierre ropes pierre ended on the guillotine all of the people that sent people to the uh, execution cells in the lubyanka and around the soviet union pretty much every one of them ended up in those same cells themselves those same people that mocked people begging for their lives found themselves begging for their lives and to me this is karmic justice i'm happy to be on the side of free speech because i know that as long as my side is still alive let alone winning i don't have anything to fear from from anybody not everybody agrees with everything i say and that wouldn't be expected it's okay to disagree you don't get canceled by your own people you're not knifed in the back because you say something and therefore i'm not afraid of saying something wrong the idea of guarding my speech doesn't particularly affect me because we have a significant number of individual bosses not just one who could tell us to shut up all of this to say that we are starting to see the signs more and more every day that the people who were the quickest to condemn people to the cancel pen, the quickest who were condemned people for for uh, ungood double plus ungood thought crimes, are suddenly being accused of these things themselves, and they're quite startled and quite alarmed. To those people, I would say, and to the people who support things like cancel culture and safe spaces and suppression of free speech and calling your opponents Nazis and hate and all the rest of it, the time is going to come. Not might come. It's going to come when you are going to find yourself on the other side of that firing squad and you're not going to like it much you'll have earned your place there because of your willingness to condemn other people to that same spot but people like me and steve and scott and the country half the country that you despise and call nazis are actually fighting for free speech not just to protect ourselves but to protect you from yourself because you have been sold uh, a bill of goods in such a way that you have created the opportunity for your own extinction and you are constantly enforcing the machine and and operating the machine and upgrading the machine that will eventually destroy you. That's just the way it is. I will close this with one simple interesting caveat. Every revolution eats its own. It's true for the French Revolution with Robespierre, this, the Russian Revolution and all of them. There is, as it turns out, a single exception to that mm. rule, and that rule is the American Revolution. Because the American Revolution, unique among revolutions in history, was not a bottom-up revolution. It didn't come from angry, dispossessed people with a bloodlust to avenge murder or slavery or, or, or in, 
it, it wasn't done by a bunch of thugs and criminals trying to gain power. This particular revolution was done by the by the most, generally speaking, wealthy, the most well-known, the most well-placed, most well-educated people. It was a revolution from the top down over a philosophy that was not mandated in terms of we have to fix this thing now. They just decided it would be safer that way. And so every single one of the members of the American Revolution, the founding fathers, not one of them was shot, not one of them was hanged, not one of them was taken out into the back and, and liquidated, to use another convenient phrase. They all lived out their lives to the fullest, they all respected each other, and they created a society where people could live without fear for 250 years. If you think that people like us are going to let a bunch of these green-haired, nose-pierced thugs and, and, and hypocrites uh, get us shut up, you got another thing coming, and it's getting to the point now where this philosophy is starting to touch so many of their own that maybe they'll actually listen for a change instead of screaming as loud as they possibly can when somebody else is speaking. For Steve Green and Scott Ott, I'm Bill Whittle. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time here on Right Angle.